work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House Lights Down, welcome to the last episode of season two of... What's this podcast? <laughs> Gosh. Oh man, that was sounding so good. Post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, here we are again. And we're here to excavate the brain of my husband, Jim Anger. I'm mm-hmm. Emily, and um, it's been my pleasure this season to it's, have these chats. It, it's been an honor. These nice little chats. <laughs> I'm already starting to get stuffy in this room. How do you even work here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah my home office does not have good HVAC. Um, it is. It's very cute. It's but it's so hot. <laughs> so people might not, might not know. Okay. Maybe maybe we could take a couple pictures of uh-huh. of the office and we can yeah you know turn them into NFTs and make a lot of money off of them. But yeah, my home office. I've never ever worked out of a church office before. Mm-hmm. With all of my pastoral jobs, I've only ever had a home office, yeah. which I which I prefer. You and... came super close at our last church, but then we left. Yep, yep. <laughs> Just as you were right. That is true. One. And then the the home office here, a really good setup. On our second floor, there was what was once a sun a small sun porch off the master bedroom that's been enclosed, and now it's my home office. But it still feels, in terms of temperature like a sun porch and humidity (laughs) right so in the summer it's very hot in the winter it's very cold i prefer the winters in here have my little space heater there folks is the reason why we're taking a summer break because i cannot handle being in this room (laughs) (laughs) we we shall see and Um, and i do have a fan not a cooling fan but mm -hmm. just like a moving air fan but it's too loud Mm -hmm. for the podcast recording purposes so yeah the sacrifices you're making we're working for right we're working for the hell right now yeah well let's jump to it so we don't have to sit in this room for much longer (laughs) with call it stormy monday it was storming earlier today um yes kind of but enough to make now we're calling it balmy monday yeah it's very balmy um why this sermon why this sunday you have a lot to talk about here right we shall see (laughs) this is the end sermon of the end of the series yes um of genesis and you kind of started off explaining that in your sermon. Yeah. So not every, with my sermon introductions, I try to, there, there's different types of sermon introductions. Sometimes you're telling a story from past experience, or otherwise sometimes you're using a historical example. Sometimes you're bringing up a world event. Other times you're giving personal reflections. And so in some ways this was as I categorize the different forms of intros, one of the more boring, just kind of talking about, hey, what I think about this sermon series, but mm-hmm. it felt appropriate. And the the main burden that I carried into the pulpit last week um, was, like I talked about in the intro, reflecting on this year of, of sermons. I mentioned that it was this Genesis sermon series, probably the most challenging sermon series I've ever preached, uh, but then also potentially the most the most satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I don't always, when I wrap up sermon series, give a lot of intentionality to wrapping up the series. Maybe I should do that more. But I did, in particular for this one, want to give the... The summary. Give the send-off to the sermon series and not only preach on this particular text, but give a wrap up the look put back, a bow on everything yep yeah and if we think about this podcast series as like season two um it was part of the relaunch that you're you were choosing genesis mm-hmm. um how do you feel that bigger picture like relaunch of liberty Collingswood has been going i think it's going well <laughs> I, I <laughs> should i not expecting. have asked that <laughs> no, I, I wasn't expecting that question so this is good after I'm all these script. years you you keep me on my toes shocking yeah so so represents initiative we said that it would be a 24 month initiative of relaunch and we're wrapping up what is this month nine and so i i think it's going well i, I wait it's a 24 be... month relaunch yes Did i know that yep <laughs> 
yeah, it was clearly communicated. The, it is pretty f- strange to think about as I look out on Sunday mornings as we go through the recovenant process with people that have been at our church as we've had a really big in covenant class. Our church just looks really different from over the past couple of years mm-hmm. un- until now. And so I was telling somebody recently that I feel like I've pastored three or four different churches at Liberty Collingswood mm-hmm. all at the same yeah. time. And so there, there is both an excitement and anticipation about what God has for us in these new seasons. Feel really focused and committed. And I'm looking forward to summer as I ratchet down my preaching schedule a little bit. One of my big summer projects is to do a sit rep for where we are with represence initiative stuff to to make sure that we stick the landing as much as we can mm-hmm. on various fronts. But then also the the flip side is that our church looking different means that, you know, there's some people that were a church that aren't mm-hmm. and and so there is a there is a grieving a grieving there too. But sounds like life, sounds like ministry. And yeah, let's sounds like the genealogy, right? Sounds like the <laughs> Yeah, I got you. Like uh, the as, as we move into Sense Studios and this particular passage, can we do that? Yes. Yeah. Um, Presence the gene- of the Lord. A genealogy is almost like if you were excavating the if you were just saying that Liberty Collingswood has been through many iterations. Like mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of thing that maybe is being spoken about here. Like you could talk about the era of John Travis and oh, yeah. like. Onward, right. on, onward, or if we just if we looked at our lives, or if anyone who is listening thinks about the different strata of their lives, mm-hmm. like a genealogy is kind of going back to each of those moments and kind of remembering, um, although in a more global sense than your individual life or than in Liberty Collingswood, but there, it yeah. serves a function. Yeah, is that's what good. I'm saying. It's a it's a taking stock. Yeah. That said, I had a hard time listening during the the during reading of the geology, and I was like, I I remember, or I wrote down being very impressed because when everyone, uh, when you got to the end of the page on the passage, everyone everyone flipped, right? And I heard, and I was like, is everyone following along? (laughs) (laughs) You guys, pastor wife. (laughs) How 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 are you doing that? Good for everybody that turned the page in the worship folder at the proper time. Yeah, for I, the for the sermon text. I, I was I was I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, for 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 people that care about such things, I do. What, another one of those tips that I give to to younger preachers is that sometimes, even if they spend tens of hours on preparing a specific sermon, when they actually read the sermon text, if they're at a church where the preacher reads the sermon text. The reading of the sermon text itself is really bad, and they're stumbling all over the place, and it's they give the impression that this is the first time they've looked at the sermon text, and that the reason for that is they just haven't practiced it and read it out loud. So I want our Howlin' Wolves to know that I practice many times reading the sermon text before I go in, out loud before I go into the pulpit, especially genealogies, because the only thing worse than hearing a huge genealogy read in terms of attention span at least for some people is having that genealogy read badly mm-hmm. so i'm doing but, my best but you had mem- my best. You, you didn't have it memorized i did so not I, I was a little bit like it was still just not enough for me right yeah <laughs> there there is jared Ayers, the former pastor of liberty center city had a personal discipline of memorizing each week including his, genealogies his sermon text that's a good question yeah, yeah. I, I doubt it that's true. That's Jared. I know you're listening. You, you know, you I just even would argue that it's a memorizing. waste of mental space. Like everyone has a capacity in their brain for a certain amount of knowledge. Yeah. And I just think a genealogy, I just, I can't get there. Okay. <laughs> but the flip side of all of this is I've, as I've tried to go to a memorization model with my sermons on Sunday morning, the whole time Emily's been telling me it's a waste. <laughs> Spend less energy. Helen Wolves, did Nobody you know cares. that? Do you know that Jim <laughs> memorizes his sermons? I just, I bet you'd be impressed. I, I mean, one would, one would be impressed unless you were married to him. <laughs> unless you're. It is a very unless the impressive... one is, is Emily Anger. She's like smoking cigarettes and saying, "Yeah." I feel like Claire is with <laughs> you, me. You could use better, better bandwidth on other things. So there we go. <laughs> 
it's a it's a finite your brain is a finite filing cabinet it is not unlimited that's true i'm losing brain cells yeah, every but, day um all of that said so we're talking about genealogies again genealogies. Um, the bible passage right. and um but yeah, I mean, a lot of us, I'm going to say us, me, when I when you're in a Bible reading plan, mm-hmm. you just, you do skim through these. And so the fact that you've done, this is number four, right? Is that what you Yeah, there's one in Matthew from um, the Advent Sermon, Sermon Series. And... and the practice of actually listening while you're reading it. What, how, like, I, you've talked about this mm-hmm. because we just had a genealogy. So we just <laughs> right. talked about genealogies. But also true. <laughs> what's the, what's the spin on it? Take number four. What was what was the nuance or what was the challenge for take number four? Make it different well, than the, two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, the challenge of take number four was having a fourth perspective <laughs> and, and not not just not just repeating myself. But I will say more more positively. And I I think I'm over when I was a younger preacher. Every week of sermon writing was an exercise in panic where I would. And I've joked too that that my my old habits that this happens less now, but there would always be complete panic when I'd be looking at a scripture passage and say, "I have no idea how I'm going to get a sermon out of this. I'm the sky is falling. Everything's horrible." I I think I have enough reps under my belt, and part of the, there's a spiritual dimension to this too, where where I trust that the Holy Spirit will lead me into what to say. And preaching is not about me, but it's about. The scriptures and God working through them. So I, I generally don't don't panic on a regular basis. But the closest I'll come to being worried about having nothing to say is when I begin a sermon prep week and a half with a genealogy. And in reality, there's always something with genealogies. And and I I need to rely on commentaries for this. So I I'm not smart enough to look at this genealogy and say, hey, these are the things that are different about this one than than others. But I think I'm batting a thousand simply in terms of feeling like there's enough. Once you dig into the commentaries, there is enough interesting stuff that's distinctive about every genealogy that there's stuff to preach on. That included that included this Sunday and what made the sermon go, the internal dynamic. You always look for the 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 internal dynamism of a text when you're trying to preach it was comparing this genealogy in Genesis chapter 11 with the genealogy of Genesis chapter 10, the table mm-hmm. of nations. And that was in my sermon prep, what unlocked the sermon for me. So the moving if inward. Genesis 10 is expansive, <clears throat> filling out everything, this genealogy a chapter later is the opposite. Down. It's drilling down. And that's that, that, that was my moment when I said, Hey, I think I have a sermon here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I can, you didn't laugh at my voice there. <laughs> There was not even, a, not even a point of recognition. You're just saying, okay, let's keep moving. I that, Go ahead. Is that, is that Pee Wee Herman? Because is it? Uh, no. Who is it? Barney from The Simpsons. Yeah, I I didn't watch The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, I know that. <laughs> Did you watch Pee Wee? Why Herman? do you want me to? I every time on Saturday morning cartoons, if Pee Wee Herman came on, I like was. To- I think it was a nightmare type situation where. Yeah. Like yeah. Like the, clowns. Yeah. yeah. Pee Wee Herman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never got Pee Wee Herman. I I enjoyed Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but uh-uh. I never got the TV show. It, no. it was. And Simpsons also. I really. Mm. Yep. Nah. Okay. <laughs> uh. So. Yeah. No attention <laughs> there. So the drill down, um, once you found that, what, what would you say, like you're, you had the moment where you decided this, this is a drill down. This is where we're going to, um, be pointing specifically to Abram. Mm -hmm. Um, how is that an unlocking for you? Yeah. So what I was doing was trying to make interesting an encapsulation of what theologians have called covenant theology, where God's plan for the world is not multiple plans and multiple promises that are different from one another, but there is one plan of redemption. There's one story of the world all culminating in Jesus. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or even before that, Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and so many others in between. God has one plan of redemption and tried to put some weight on the fact that just as 
this genealogy in Genesis chapter 11 is singular in its drive towards Abram. We are living out in God's world as followers of Jesus being part of this one story. So I tried, tried to do a couple contextual things with that that we can get to in muddying the waters a little bit later. But then the, the reverse of that was I went back to Genesis chapter 10, that genealogy, saying that just as there is a single story here, the table of nations, and this is something that I developed a little bit two weeks ago, but, but came back to, there's, there's a whole lot of breadth to the scriptures. And if part of the Represence Initiative, Third Way Walk and Worldview, building out a biblical worldview in lots of different directions with the different topics we've covered this year, reflecting on the depth and the breadth of the scriptures and how we can actually really trust them. And I was surprised how much Genesis spoke to so many different things. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, that was a little bit of an artificial point to draw from. or it, Like genealogy. From the genealogy. But, but hopefully there is enough of a connection because the point of that genealogy in Genesis chapter 10 is to say that God is Lord over all things uh-huh. and all peoples. So I, I felt like there was enough of a connection there to to make that point and yeah i really want people to build their worldview from the ground up from the scriptures and actually trust trust what god what Mm -hmm. god has said yeah that's not not easy stuff it's a good challenge for us right now yeah for sure saying um can we move on to muddying the water finally (laughs) talking about the 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 hopeful story Uh so death Previous genealogies in Genesis will talk about the death of all of these figures, and the clear implication is that all these people died in the genealogy before us in Genesis chapter 11. But commentators say the fact that death is not explicitly mentioned, and it's a streamlined, shorter formula for this genealogy... Mm I will say that, like, literally... I I noted this when you were preaching, too. Like, literally the last sentence that you read talks about a death but right <laughs> so you were saying that like there's no death mentioned and uh, then there's like a death yeah and so, I was... so i have the sermon test text here the days of terror were 205 years and Terah died in uh-huh. haran so i actually thought about mentioning that but i didn't for the for the sake of time uh-huh. so the genealogy itself ends a few verses before that. Mm-hmm. And so if that's verse 32 about the death of Terah, there's a new section Always that begins has an answer. with the Toledot formula. Now these are the generations of Terah yeah. in verse 27. I was looking so. with like teenager eyes and you just responded with like dad answer. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the adult in the room. Sometimes. So, so the primeval history of Genesis, Genesis either 3 to 11, the fallen part, or 1 to 11 before starting the story of Abraham in Genesis 12. It ends on a note of hope that God, even though human beings are messing a lot of things up very quickly, God is still pursuing the plan to give his presence, to be with his people in his place mm-hmm. through, through Abram, even through the cliffhanger of the fact that Sarai was barren. And yeah. Yeah. God, God provides Isaac. The cliffhanger that you're not going to end, you're not going to follow up with. Well, we might actually go back to Genesis this what? coming fall. So what? That, that 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 is TBD. So 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 we might get to get to Isaac. The meaning of Isaac okay. is is he laughs. And in case we don't do Genesis next year, our second son Micah for a week, or we were planning on calling him Micah for a long time before he was born, mm-hmm. but because we had an emergency home birth. It was just kind of crazy, and, and you thought it was the best thing ever. It was I, awesome. I was actually <laughs> born at home, an hour and a half of labor. Right, and so it's such a crazy Super thing, fun. and you were laughing so much that we said, "Hey, what if we'd name this this child of ours Isaac instead?" Because we're just uh-huh. laughing at how crazy the birth story was. So, yeah. so, so there are Zapruder level grainy instances of video we're, we're calling infant Micah Isaac. Yeah, but it just didn't work. It didn't but, speak to us. Isaac Anger. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Isaac Asimov. So, I like the name, but yeah, it just, he wasn't, he didn't, it didn't speak to us. Right. And so, so even the, the cliffhanger and call it a miraculous birth when Sarai was super old, but still had Isaac points us forward to Abraham's seed offspring, like Paul calls it, calls Jesus in the New Testament 
an even more miraculous mm-hmm. birth for Jesus of Nazareth. Right. Boom. Presence of the Lord. There you go. Genealogy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can't get enough. Uh, muddying the water. So mm-hmm. we've already talked about what was difficult somewhat about constructing this. <laughs> right. I don't feel like we need to go through that again. But the context that you're trying to engage with the specific um, the specific passage or the specific thing again, you're you're hitting that third way thing again. Yeah. The like um I this seems like the run one of the running threads of the sermon series to me. Like like yeah. walking and trying to address the cultural context by saying um let's try to find a way that we can live and have beliefs that are um, that are marked and guided by scripture and not by like a, an affiliation. Yep. Yes. So this also was returning to some greatest hits of the sermon series, uh-huh. but that was on purpose because yep. this was a wrap up sermon. And yeah. So if you're following along this year, you didn't hear really new points of engagement, but you heard me returning to, things that we've been talking about a lot. So from the three points of the sermon, could ask it this way, where do we draw, from where do we draw wholeness? And we draw our wholeness from the fact that this is one story mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the fracturing and fragmentation around us and inside of us. And then also where do we draw our authority, scripture or brand X? And then where do we draw, where do we draw our hope? Mm-hmm. And wanted to, and I think all of those things are, those questions are very much, very much contested. And I, I did the best job that I could to try to relate this one story idea to giving us a through line of purpose that unifies us and makes whole again. Hopefully that, that, that made sense. And when, when we can feel scattered and fractured, hey, there is a point to the universe. There is a point to us. We do have an author that, uh, who is the, who was the playwright, Six Characters in Search of an Author? It was a postmodern play. No. It was an Italian guy. Oh, man, I'm blanking out. So, But great title. Never, never read the play or saw it, but Six Characters in Search of an Author. That That's not who we are because mm-hmm. we have an author who gives us a story, namely the God of the universe. And so drawing comfort from that. And then also the, the authority question. And I, I hope I'm clear and not trying to overstate I, th- I, w- I think it was explicit in the sermon that just because the scriptures are our authority, that doesn't mean that I automatically always interpret the scriptures correctly. But we hopefully interpret them cor- correctly enough that you can have confidence to, to stand on them. Mm-hmm. Try- trying to interrogate the question of, okay, in this cultural moment, people will think that having scriptures, the uh, Christian Bible as the authority is retrograde and dumb. But the question can be asked in the asked in the other direction as well, if not the scriptures, then what? Then, then what? And sometimes there's not that. The more you surface that question, the less satisfying I think potentially for a lot of secular people your your answers might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how about the Bible? Mm-hmm. And 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 then finally, uh, crisis of hope. The, I think one of the effects of of pandemic and headlines and just the world going bonkers over the past couple of years and and more it is documented that people are just a lot less hopeful than 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 they used to be there continued to be stories about crisis of mental health that's coming in here as we emerge out of out of pandemic the severe hopelessness and cynicism of younger people and so talking about the gospel of Jesus, where there will be a new heavens and new earth, God's presence with his people in his place, that really is good news. Mm-hmm. And, and wanting people to, to keep that in mind as we deal with so much discouragement and ennui in, uh, in a daily basis, uh, focused on the cross. And this is the, this is the last thing I'll have for Mending the waters, um, unless you want to go back and double click on anything. The whole idea of Jesus crucified and resurrected, there is the naming, but not the shaming. I, I really do feel like it's either one or the other, culturally speaking, when we'll think, okay, if you name sin, if you name wrong, if you name evil, right. that, that could bring undue shame and trauma upon people. Or on the other hand, let's just not name anything. But mm-hmm. I think 
the gospel is unique in that sin, evil is identified, but it's identified within the context of forgiving grace because Jesus paid it all. So that, right. that that's something new. And then for fracturing and hopelessness for people who are just going to fight all the time forever with each other. Hey, Jesus gives us a gospel of reconciliation, not only between us and God, but then also with others. And what gives us hope for the world, if not the author and perfecter of our faith saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So those are all aspects of good news that I think should give us an anchor in hope. Yeah. What is, um, if you, if there's someone listening to our podcast or your podcast series and you're, they're listening to the, the overall arching, uh, season two, like Genesis series, like what are, what is the like practical takeaway I think that's hard. So <laughs> uh, there, the, the answer is there might not be one. So, so, but, but that is an intentionally thought out answer. So one of the things that I struggle with in sermons, and it continues to evolve. So towards the beginning of the sermon, I said, I'm still trying to perfect my own craft as, as a preacher. And one of the things that I wonder is what is the nature of application and takeaways and in sermons so that the classic sermon model, at least here in the West is that every sermon needs to have some super practical things at at the end of every sermon. Here are the three things that you can do to apply this to your life and make it, make a practical change. Now I need to be aware of my own weaknesses and blind spots as a preacher, but I'm not persuaded that that's necessarily the way that sermons need to go. So for people that have been in churches for a long time, say you hear, and ideally we're coming to church pretty much every week and we're worshiping online given this pandemic season, but but we're worshiping every week. If, if you hear, say, 50 sermons a year and you're given three takeaways after every sermon, you've just been told in the course of a year, 150 things to apply like nobody's gonna do that i think although maybe i'm selling our own howl and love short in terms of instantly personally applying all of those takeaways if at a larger level then as we think about deconstruction as we think about deconversion as we think about what people are struggling with in some ways what we're struggling with is not necessarily the hyper practical stuff as as we continue to be distressed in our belief systems and structures as the gospel engages with the secular world. I feel like a lot of the battle is there at this point. And so not necessarily, hey, if you do this this week, you'll automatically live with more hope. But instead, draw a deeper anchor into these into this true story of the world in such a way that you can be better buffered against all of this stuff. And so specifically with the sermon series, I've tried to develop in that direction a little bit more. And we specifically designed this sermon series to be doubled with our home meetings that were talking practices of presence. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the more holistic view of the ministry of Liberty Collins with this year, and, and not that sermons and home meetings are the only things that we, that, that we've been doing, sometimes less practical takeaways on a Sunday morning, knowing that as much as we're able to do, we wanted to make our home meetings hyper practical Mm -hmm. because behaviors are formative beyond the behaviors themselves. So anyway, that that's, that's the thought process behind it. But that was, that was well done by you. Good job by you. Good, good question. (sighs) Thanks dad. (laughs) (laughs) The teenagers would have been cut off around 30 seconds. (laughs) Your go. 30 seconds of your answer. Right, right. So, <laughs> but maybe, uh, how, maybe Helen Wolves are older than teenagers. Yeah, Helen Wolves, <laughs> plus blues at gmail.com. Maybe, maybe, oh, I, I just had an idea. Uh huh. If we get a sufficient number of oh, Helen Wolves, maybe we'll do like a mailbag. Mailbags during the summer. This, this, this summer. Once so. a month. Post Sunday blues, a preaching post mortem oh, after, after fun. dark, and we'll have Oh, a, yeah. And I could read them so that Jim is. Uh, on his toes, so you get you get the like fresh gym. Oh well, maybe not the like. <laughs> Everybody likes fresh gym. The, <laughs> not ma- the maybe we can gym. say maybe we can say 
this would actually be fun. So let let email let's me do directly this. to Emily Anger. Well, don't don't email Post Sunday no, no, no. Blues. Uh, <laughs> email here. I'll not check Post Sunday Blues. I'm not going to remember to check Post Sunday Blues. Well, I'll remind you, and then <laughs> and then you. But there could be you, cheating. You, you could cheat. Fresh Scott's honor. Right, you could probably check my email too. So there we go. So <laughs> let's do that. I like that idea. Boom. It'd be fun. I'll, I'll have to maybe like maybe I'll act- actively pursue people. Um, I feel I feel like the live the live setup with things like that. I, I think they're best done if you have a screener. <laughs> if there's someone. Oh, screening. I wasn't necessarily thinking that that we would feel live questions. Oh yeah yeah yeah. The, okay. the, the questions need to be emailed in. Oh come on. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a curator. I'm, I'm an editor. Yeah, in, I just think that, that people are asking questions that you've thought about is probably better. But stump the gym. Stump the gym. <laughs> we'll we'll language that title a little bit more. Um. Okay. Let's move on to bar band cover bar tunes band cover and tunes. your many many references. You stuffed full. I think. I feel like I feel like there were a lot of references. Well, I feel week, like it was maybe? average. Okay. Um. Come on in, the water's fine. Is that the number one? What is that from? It's not. It's just a. It's a cliche. It's not a song. I don't I'm, know. I'm sure it's in a song. Uh, what else do we have? One, you tell me. One, one <laughs> of the funny. One of the games that Clara and I play is that we'll. You throw a word to the other person, and we have to think about a song that uses that mm-hmm. word in in lyrics. So eschatology think about that oh <laughs> eschatology <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to you on that so a few references here pablo neruda the the poet we had roger santivanez on five golden things reading poetry we're going to do another episode with him so he was english poets for the five golden things a little bit ago i need to have roger back on for him to talk about his five favorite spanish Ooh. poems and Neruda is one of Roger's favorite poets. He actually gave me a book of Neruda's poetry a few years ago, mm-hmm. an interlinear sort of thing. So like on the right side of the pages, it's the poems and the original Spanish oh, and nice. translation on uh, into English on the left. So Neruda saying, of the many men whom I am, whom I'm, I was trying to read like Roger, <laughs> so I'm just not going to, not even going to try, whom we are, I cannot settle on a single one. They are lost to me under the cover of clothing. When everything seems to be set to show me off as a man of intelligence, the fool I keep concealed on my person takes over my talk and occupies my mouth. Mm. So that, and that, that's a sentiment that's widely articulated in tons of, tons of various forms of art. But I like that quote, mm-hmm. the masks that we wear. Yeah. It was either that or Billy Joel's The Stranger, but I went with yeah, Pablo yeah. Neruda instead. And I really like this other quote, the review article of, Elena Ferrante. By the way, people, if they were watching closely, for for me as a recovering stutterer, I have trouble with Saint Ferrante. Elena oh, is Elena? is a is a word that huh. that I struggle to get out, and Ooh. I had a tiny bit of trouble with that on okay. on Sunday morning. So Merv Emray, a writer, talked about what we gain from reading fiction. Sometimes you need someone else. I'm not going to read all, all of the quotes that I had, but I, but but this one, I think this is the first time I've used this one. Sometimes you need someone else to help gather the scattered fragments of your existence. A writer is a friend who can find the thread of your story when you are too blinded by your lies to grasp it yourself. She can give you the beginning and end you need, if not in life, then in fiction. So when we get lost in a good book, the author of that book, in a mysterious way, gives context and tell us to our own stories. Mm-hmm. And I flagged that quote wherever I read it. I have to go back and check because I thought that was a good illustration yeah, of what God does true. for us. Right. So so if if Merv Emray, and for the purposes of, of this review article, I think it's very valid to say uh, authors can give us the beginning and in the, in the end we need, if not in life, then in fiction. The better news of the gospel is that it's not only in fiction, but also in life where we do have a divine author mm-hmm. that, that gives us our stories. Right. Without that, without a divine author, it does feel extremely meaningless. So, and I think that, or in it, that quote holds up for the 
masters of education that I am uselessly holding, but the the way that you look at children's literature or young adult fiction, the, yeah. the pur- one of the purposes of fiction is to help kids and teens make sense of the worlds they're living right. in. So why not? Why is that not true of us? Yeah. And then at the a bigger picture, um, if we don't have like a real story to live into, mm-hmm. then it it can start getting existential yeah right <laughs> the, the crisis that, that's very true I and mean, while you were talking i looked up six characters in search of an author uh-huh. luigi pirandello <laughs> so now you have it and speaking of italians by way of segue i always love getting giacomo leopardi uh-huh, in in uh-huh. there so he's he's this 19th century author who wrote this voluminous who you keep on talking (laughs) (laughs) diary of sorts about life the universe and everything and i i chuckled i I think i just read this passage a week or so ago and it made it in leopardi saying for people to be able to live they need hope Uh and without hope we can't live and then leopardi says I had hope once when I was 16 or 17 yeah. years old, and then, I, and then I lost it, and you can't have that hope again once you get to be an adult, oh. so he he was a depressed guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Leopardi speaks the truth mm-hmm. when, when he says, life without hope is unlivable. Sorry to the teenagers out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. Um, 16 and 17 were some of the best years in my life as well. Were they, they? they were a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, anything else? So we also had, I mentioned towards the end of the introduction, John 6. And I don't know if you remember, this is one of the passages that Norm Coop, the pastor that who's preaching we sat under in, in college, he would use this passage a lot. Jesus preaches to the crowds. They say this is a hard saying. Who can who can obey it? Then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, Do you want to go away as well? And mm-hmm. then Peter speaking for the twelve says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Mm. You have the words of eternal life. And so uh, a remembrance of our deceased pastor from from college. Yeah, I I miss Norm. He would he would use that passage a lot, and then a little more frivolous bar band cover tunes. One, I you got a little bit of singing. I, I'm not sure if Clara Clara noticed. She probably did. Hello, genealogies, my old friends. I've come to talk with you again. I think I blocked it out. Because of genealogy yeah, right. softly creeping. Okay, okay, we can it stop It was now. Simon and Garfunkel, The Sound of Silence, which was their their hit single. It was on their first album, but then pretty much apart from their knowledge, Tom Dowd, a producer at Columbia, gave an electric drums and electric guitar and drums, bass drums backing track that gave them a hit after it was released or after the album was released. It was then produced into this single. Really, really great song. And then also, um, you probably didn't catch the Godfather reference, but when I, I always chuckle, I think it is Genesis chapter 15 when God tells Abraham, hey, you're going to have you're going to have a son. It's going to be great. I'm going to bless the world through your line. And he says, how can this be possible? I have no heir. My nearest heir is Eliezer of Damascus. Uh-huh. Like, and I, I always laugh at that because it's, it's the only reference to Eliezer of Damascus in all of the scriptures. Uh-huh. And he's just kind of like Poor thrown guy. under the bus. Yeah. yeah. Like, like this idiot is, uh-huh. is, is going to be the way. So that's kind of like Uncle Fredo from... Oh, yeah. From, I figured that was a reference. From, from the Godfather. Did you really think it was... Uncle Fredo? Yeah. I didn't, Fredo is unique enough that I didn't think you pulled it from, like, thin air. Right. Yep. Nor nor did I, so. Yep. Good stuff. Do you really think so? <laughs> I think you're just saying that. But Bar- that's all I got. Did- Barbans cover tunes. Um, I, I hear we have a writer. I will, I can add my, or wait, no. What am I, what are we doing? Guitar right. Any, any leftovers? I can't read today. Uh, I, I, I do have a couple quotes that I cut out for oh. the sake of time. So part of my streamlining, if Genesis 11 is a streamlined sermon, I, I didn't go back and check the time, but there, there was a quote from Vaclav Havel, who, is, who was a Christian uh, statesman 
talking about how in our moments of profound doubt and confusion is when we can also find the most hope. I was going to talk about that in the context of part three of the sermon, Hope. I think it was actually a reflections quote in the worship folder, and I always I always hate not referencing a reflection quote in the worship people folder. People can still reflect if they so choose. Yeah, feel, feel free to. And, and then another one that I really like, I got this from a book called The Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge. She mentions a writer named Mark Richard, who's mentioning Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll use this in a different sermon. Talking to himself, Mark Richard says, the thing is that like my favorite writer, Flannery O'Connor, I believe the biggest threat to my soul is me. How mm. different that is from God accepts you just as you are. So I think for true gospel, you need both of those things. God accepts you just as you are. Jesus paid the price for your sin completely, not just partially. That's true. But then you also need to believe that you actually have sin. I believe that the biggest threat to my soul is me. And -hmm. if you have one without the other, that's either legalism on one hand, the biggest threat to my soul is me. But without Jesus' acceptance, we're just having to work off that debt. Mm -hmm. But without the concept of sin, God accepts you just as you are. That, that becomes just flaccid, easy believism and irreligion on the other hand. Mm-hmm. So that, that felt like too much to, yeah. in real time, yeah. shoehorn into the end of the sermon. Have you read but Flannery O'Connor recently? I never, ever? I've never, ever read Flannery O'Connor. One of our, one of our Helen Wolves, Becca is a huge Flannery O'Connor fan. I, so I really liked her when I was like 17 or 18. I, I remember you saying mm-hmm. that you, wait, in college or in high school? I took a class at Penn in high school. That's right. Yeah, so so, it I should read Flannery O'Connor. It, it, I put it a little bit in the category of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Who are you listening to? The, <laughs> so I, <laughs> this is like let, w- <laughs> nobody quotes Flannery O'Connor at this point. Like maybe maybe the theologians the theologians you read quote Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> that that's true. So so Flannery O'Connor is one of the most think... quoted fiction writers by by, by theologians, authors, by, which, by, by which theologians. means that you shouldn't read her. <laughs> I just feel like everybody else, like like Lewis, like Tolkien, everybody I, I, else has the, read O'Connor. The caliber so. of the caliber of like commentaries that you're reading are not quoting Lewis and Tolkien like it's a different category also like Flannery O'Connor is like like a (laughs) is a classic where C.S. Lewis is not necessarily I mean Tolkien's like borderline but I'm not sure I'm what am I wrong I okay are are you saying that O'Connor is better yeah Tolkien Uh I think so it's a well. It's I, not. I, I don't think that's an a. Hot take I don't think there. that's a hot take. Is that a hot take? She's not Christian. She's like Catholic-ish, or she's making comments, right? Or no, she had some weird theological belief no, I, system. I, I think she was. I think she was oh, a Christian. Okay. Okay. I don't remember. <laughs> are I, you saying that I haven't the, read her since I was seventeen. Actually, I went back in college. The, but the better the author, the less Christian they are. I'm, I'm, I'm just I, confused I by some going. of you, the gaps in your reading. Like, were you like? decide not to read certain people because they're too quoted <laughs> <laughs> yep that's true like so, that that is really like me deciding not to wear, watch star wars you yeah. know that right yes so <laughs> it's so basically the same we're the same was was it yogi Berra that 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 said that restaurant oh something like Nobody goes to that restaurant anymore because it's too crowded. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, anything else wish you could redo? No. This fourth genealogy thing. <laughs> I, I just wish I did, could do more you genealogies. Didn't, you, didn't regret, for sure. you didn't regret choosing a genealogy. <laughs> so so when, when I went back to check if I'd ever preached this sermon or this text from Genesis because I have gone over or I'd have preached through Genesis before. I've mentioned that in pre- previous podcasts. This was another one, even though this is my third time preaching that you the also early, had skipped <laughs> early chapters of Genesis. I, the previous two times I had skipped this genealogy wow. as well. So, okay. So maybe you building re- new you, muscles, you gr- regretted it last time. So it needed to be done. Oh yeah. There's probably a big German word for <laughs> regretting something like my, my younger self would have regretted it if I knew 
than what I know now. Well, ask the teenage Germans who come in the fall. I'm sure they'll know. <laughs> That's better than asking our own German students. Okay, that... so Holland Wolves. Um, yes. I had a lot of Holland Wolf. Personal, this is a personal Holland Wolf oh, where I listened okay. to your five golden things about sandwiches. And oh, yeah. I have like so many comments, but... I'll narrow it down to the one, which is why, why is, why are my takes or my experiences with me open game where <laughs> you have to get permission from Clara to like ask about. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think I have an answer to that question. Yeah, that, I thought that's so. That's a good one. I thought so. What, um, <laughs> did I, I didn't mention you that much in Five no, Golden Things, did I? Uh, no. I, the only thing that comes to beginning. mind is when I mentioned that 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 you were not sympathetic to my mm-hmm. repeated vomiting yeah. after rare burgers. Yeah. <laughs> also, a burger is not a sandwich, but oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess you have a point in some ways. Where if we're like restaurants, they'll have sandwiches and burgers. Sometimes it's two different parts of the menu. You could, is, burger, you could have done a whole burger. You could have done a whole burger, like episode five golden things burgers mm. burger edition. And uh, yeah, it's not a sandwich. Okay. Did you uh, did you like the podcast though? <sighs> okay. We have a. Do you have any other Helen Wolf stuff? <laughs> do, <laughs> I think do, you do. Why don't you read yours? I do. So this is from Helen Wolf Josh. The. I think he's a he's a first time howler. So, hey Jim and Emily, I had a quick question about an illustration from Sunday. This is from two sermons ago. We didn't quite he Josh didn't quite make deadline for for last week. Toward the end of the sermon, Jim mentioned cultural diversity across religions, pulling Islam, Buddhism, and Christianity as examples. What I'm wondering is where you draw the line between cultural ad libbing or expression and the right and true practice of a religion. For Christianity, when churches are largely working with the same resources, scriptures, and church history, and coming up with different answers, where do we as Christians have to draw a line where something has gone from a differing culture to incorrect practice or heresy? Is there a point like that in any good sci-fi movie where we have gone too far and don't realize it until we're down the road a bit? So that's question number one. It's a good one. So, And a, a, an evergreen question in Christian circles. So and what Josh is asking here is when you're when you're adapting biblical Christianity to any specific culture, either knowingly or unknowingly, how far is too far when you give so much room for enculturating the gospel in particular ways that you actually lose the thread of, of biblical religion. Mm-hmm. Do you want do you want me to give it give my answer? Uh sure. Okay. So <laughs> I have answers, but I feel like they're not. They're probably not. <laughs> well, here I'll I'll let you uh, chip in if if you'd like. So, Josh, good question. It it's one that has been wrestled with a lot over the centuries in Christianity. Interestingly, to me, the Bible doesn't have a formula. So, the Bible, and I think that's significant. God could have chosen to give some very specific parameters within the New Testament about this question but chooses not to. And you also likewise have the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the famous passage where he says, I become a Jew to Jews and a Greek to Greeks. I become all things to all people so that I might save some. That's the mandate for what's been called biblical contextualization. So there, there is no prefabricated set of right and wrongs. This is where Eric Mitchell makes fun of me again for being Mr. Case-by-Case Basis. But I think there's no substitute for in any and every situation of contextualizing the gospel. You try to triangulate between reading the scriptures well, making sure that you're being biblical, finding flex and freedom to adapt cultural expressions of the gospel in ways that are missionally fruitful and build resilient dis- disciples. I think it's also good for any church tradition to be as self-critical as we possibly can, where it's so easy to let our own cultural blind spots work themselves into what we're calling true Christianity. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just a constant a constant challenge. And I think there's also the potential continually for, for chauvinism, where 
we can think that our cultural expression of Christianity is better than other people's cultural expression of Christianity. Right. And that's that's potentially racism or chauvinism in in different ways. And like American Christianity was not first. Right. And <laughs> and there are or one classic example, uh, Harvey Kahn was one of my professors, or actually he died the semester that I got to campus, but influential at Westminster Seminary. He compares confessions of faith in different cultures. So the Westminster Confession of Faith, for example, a classic Presbyterian confession, begins with doctrine of scripture and identifies the nature and authority of scripture specifically because that was what was contested in that context between the Protestant and Roman Catholic churches. Roman Catholic theology has a somewhat different take on the nature and authority of the scriptures vis-a-vis church tradition. And so it made sense that the Westminster Confession begins there. Do you want to, Con then cross-referenced a confession of faith from the Chinese church? Do you mm-hmm. want, do you want to guess, or maybe you've heard like remember, where, dude. like where, where it begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, it talks about something that's actually not mentioned at all in the Westminster Confession, namely ancestor worship. Huh. And so that that's a question that has come up at least traditionally fairly rarely in the West. Mm-hmm. But as the gospel moved into China, when ancestor worship is a is a really big thing, that was a question that their missionaries were constantly having to to deal with and, and face. So that different flavors of how the gospel comes into different places because there are different questions that that arise. Last thing I'll say on this, the the church, especially in where the church has been established in different cultures, needs to stay in dialogue in a couple of different directions. One, and this is true especially of majority culture churches, we need to be in dialogue with churches of, of other cultures in relationship with them, whether locally or more broadly. I think it's so much easier for churches to succumb to their own blind spots when they're not cross-comparing their own cultural expressions of church with other cultures. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's mutually reinforcing when churches have those sorts of dialogues and learn from each other because you see what's biblical and what's not, what's going too far so much more clearly when you have all of these comps. It's like mm-hmm. searching house hunting when, when you just mm-hmm. look at different comps to, to get better perspective on any one single house. And then also Harvey Kahn, the missiologist, one of his big things, his key work was Eternal Word Changing Worlds, which I give a shout out to in the introduction bumper to Five Golden Things. When Shocking. I say the, the whole Eternal Word Changing Worlds things, that's a reference <laughs> to <laughs> Harvey Kahn's book. You, of, you heard it here of, first. Of, of, of you the, always wanted to know. Of the, same, of the same title. So one of Kahn's big things is that theologians in the academy and the ceremony and in the seminary need to stay in dialogue with missionaries and missiologists. The traditional Western model is that missionaries are sent from Western seminaries, but the seminaries never complete that feedback loop where they're listening to what missionaries are telling them about how they are having to make all Mm -hmm. of these contextual choices for, for the sake of mission. And the church is at its healthiest where Khan uses the word trialogue, where it's scripture, Western theologians and praxis, and then also missiologists talking to each other Mm -hmm. to continue to theologize well. So Josh has one other question here. And do you have anything that you want to add to that stuff? Okay. So on a similar note, I'm wondering what you would say, and you actually mentioned this briefly um, just now, I'm wondering what you would say that American Christianity looks like and what defines it from faith or any other part of, of, of the world. So what what does American Christianity look like? And I well, there's different layers to that. One, there's and Josh realizes this too, but I so so I'm not saying Josh that you didn't recognize this. I I know that you do. There there are different American Christianities itself. So so there's not just one. But but if we take American Christianity as majority culture church. A couple of resources, one that I'd recommend more than the other. There, there's a book written recently, and have you come across Jesus and John Wayne? That that no, the no, book. I have not. So uh, that that's a book talking about how recent expressions of American Christianity 
have been shot through with a lot of toxic masculinity and have have been over adapted to cultural forms from the political right. I I don't recommend that book without qualification. I I have issues both with the Christian right and then also I have issues with progressive Christianity and or what's been called the evangelical left. I, to to me Jesus and John Wayne aligns too closely with what I would consider some potential misalignments with the evangelical left. But again, just to be clear, I'm I'm not running to the other pole and saying there there aren't any issues with with the Christian right. There's issues on both sides. Third way walk and worldview. But then also a a better book that covers some of the same material was written about 15 years ago by a professor, I think at Lancaster Bible College, so near, near to us, Jesus Made in America by Stephen J. Nichols. And it's a really fascinating study of, he goes through different eras of, of church history and whatever was valued, whatever was popular in media, different phases of of American history that bled specifically into people's view of Jesus at, at, at different points. And it's fascinating to unpack some of that. Even like the stereotypical example, you have Jesus depicted as a white guy at, at different points of, of literally a <laughs> uh, blue-eyed uh, white dude when chance, strong chances are he was he was nope. not blue eyed and so yeah that that just always that just always happens which goes back to the whole idea about staying in dialogue with other traditions and being self-critical as we continue to read the bible good stuff dude yep josh thanks for that post on the blues at gmail.com for your mailbag questions. for your summer mailbag let's let's do it and that yeah that's the only that's the only helen wolf i got anything on your end baby nope Okay. Um, I think that, and yeah, I think the shout out to just doing mailbag this summer, taking yeah. a break, yep, sitting on the shore, um, and as I did yesterday, enjoying your summer. It was lovely. Um, you'll reading. have a summer reading list, right, coming out. You'll have for church. Uh, I wasn't like planning on doing that this year. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay, people well, could because you, was, you've given up on people let me know. reading. <laughs> If you want a summer reading Flannery list, O'Connor. The, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to make it. wouldn't be hard for me to put Get recommendations. Yeah, you're just thinking people, people just haven't been reading it. Is it? Uh, no, it was. You just didn't. Omission, not commission. One that, of those cuts that, from that Eric. We didn't do it. I don't think we did it the past couple of years, but maybe, well, that was maybe a COVID it's time thing, to, right? to bring it back. I don't know. Yet, there's summer prayer. There are... What else is going on? There's going to be the summer prayer. There's going to be backyard barbecues. There's one is at be... our house, the mystery one. Will you make it to our house? You're not supposed to say. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. You can excise that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And yeah, I, yesterday on the beach, I was reading 1Q84 by Haruki Murakami. Upper <laughs> 70s, low There's your reading list, guys. <laughs> Breeze on the beach. Yeah, and that it's other like book. giant uh, Italian <laughs> and the Zibaldone by yeah, Giacomo one. Leopardi. If you, if you can figure out how to spell it, then that's your Zibaldone. reading list. Also, um, it's a coffee table. I, I think book. that's it. You have anything else to close out this season with? Guess what the summer sermon series is going to be? Psalms. No. What? Aha! Shocking. Ha uh, ha. <laughs> I got nothing then. Last year. Best title for a sermon series ever was Paul Perry. Do, oh, no. do you remember that? <laughs> so, I blocked it out of my memory. So so this this summer, beginning this coming week, I will be preaching from the Gospel of Mark as we begin our Potpourri series for this summer, Encounters with Jesus, Studies in the Gospel. Okay, that so title's better. We'll be Yeah, I it, it, it would have felt irreverent to do like Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Puri. Yeah, so, yeah, that, no. that would have been a bad idea. So, encounters with Jesus, studies in the Gospels. I and guest preachers will be jumping around the four Gospels, mm-hmm. giving different accounts of Jesus' life, ministry, and teaching, and signs and wonders and good stuff from okay. from there. It's been a little while. Well, I guess we did Matthew's Matthew and Advent, Matthew one and two last time. Although Jesus was just a little baby, it was Ricky Bobby phase and now we have yeah it's been a while since we've 
literally encountered Jesus on a Sunday morning at Liberty Collingswood through through the Gospels. So I'm looking for there was some intentionality. We're not just this isn't just placeholder, but if Jesus truly is the center of the story, let's learn about him in greater detail and depth mm-hmm. this summer. Okay, good stuff. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm thinking like I have, I have something to say, but I really don't. So we're gonna just close with that and goodbye, and we'll see you in. Thanks the for a great season. Summer. Do, thank, we, do, yep. do we want to say that? Thank you for a great season. <laughs> mm-hmm. And with that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post-Sunday blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Mm-hmm.